Well, hello, Austin Stone. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. My name is Joey Shaw, and I've been around the Austin Stone for uh, 10 years or so. been on staff as a missions pastor, and now uh, after living in North Africa for a number of years, uh, I live with my family in Barcelona, Spain. And uh, yeah, bacon and cheese. That's what Spain likes. And so I live there in Spain. And with a team there, we are investing in the community, immigrant community there, planting churches, making disciples uh, from Barcelona to Marseille, France, as well as leading our Austin Stone field office. You may not know it, uh, but we at the Stone actually have an office of staff members who live in Barcelona. And that's what I'm a part of. We oversee all of our Austin Stone missionaries who are serving all over the world. So what a pleasure it is to serve on staff here and to serve you. And God willing, uh, what I have to bring to you today will bless you and uh, keep you going. You know, one of the weird things that happens when you live in another country, particularly when you live in the Muslim world, is that people always want to talk to you about American politics. So, you know, yeah, I'm on the metro, the subway, and someone's like, I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm trying to make a friend. That's what we do, we make friends. How you doing? My name is Joe. Yeah, where are you from? Where are you from? Oh, okay, I'm from, yeah, they're from Pakistan, and we live in Barcelona. And they ask me, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I'm from America. And they're like, oh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's my stop. I'm going to get off now. So <laughs> I always want to talk to you about American politics. And what's fascinating is these days, American politics and uh, the presidential election, which we're also uh, fascinated by, uh, uh, put on grand display something I think we can learn from. And I want you to start thinking about it. If you think about the, the presidential election, one thing that happens or is happening, maybe now un unlike maybe ever before or more than ever before, is um, our presidential candidates, um, and, and it's quite normal, uh, essentially base their platform on what they're strong in, right? They talk about what they're strong in. They boast about what they're strong in. And it's extremely rare to hear a politician boast in their weakness. That's rare, isn't it? And the reason for that is one of the fundamental longings of the human heart is to deny or escape from weakness. We don't like being weak. We don't like coming off weak. We don't like talking about our weakness or maybe letting others into that place of our life where our weakness is, is apparent. If you go to the grocery store, this is, we, we see this all throughout our life, but if you go to the grocery store to Target or Walmart or wherever you have it, you walk up to the cashier and you look to your left or right, what you see are magazines. Uh, and on the cover of those magazines are people who, who seem to have no blemishes. Right? And we buy them up because we like something in our flesh, in our fallen nature, likes to deny the fact that we all have blemishes. We like to think that we're without blemish. And well, they're without blemish, so if I buy the magazine, I'll be without blemish. Something is appealing there. But the reality is, sooner or later in life, as you grow up perhaps, or maybe young, maybe when you're young, you come to realize one very important thing, namely, that you just simply cannot be or do all that you want. You're weak. You don't have the power to accomplish or to become or to control what you would like. This often comes out in physical disabilities. If you have arthritis, one of the mental games that happens is, I need to fix it. And you come to realize, I can't fix it. It's there. I'm too weak. Weakness is a fundamental human reality. And today I want to talk to you about weakness, human weakness. How do we think about 
human weakness in our life. We all face it. We all have it. We all exist in it. We all exist as weak people. We are mere humans. <laughs> and uh, as much money and time and effort we put to, to certain things, we just don't have the power we think we would, we would want, do we? Something we all learn. So I want to talk to you about weakness and, and try to help you understand what the Bible says about human weakness and how we can respond to that. So as we get started, you might just think about, and this might be something instantly in your head or you might have to think about it. You might think about what's something in your life that is weak? Is it a bo- your body or perhaps your personality or, or your, your lack of ability to control things or, or do things? What in your life, where in your life do you feel weak? Where in your life do you feel weak? Begin to think about that and let that be a reflection as you listen uh, as we read God's word together. So turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read starting at verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. It'll be on the, on the screen as well if you didn't bring a Bible. And let me catch us up to where we're at in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a letter from Paul wherein he argues to the Corinthian church that he is a true apostle of God with a true gospel. That what he has to say is true and it's from God. It's the gospel. Eternity hangs in the balance of what Paul says. Problem is there's false teachers in the Corinthian church. So Paul spends an entire letter arguing, listen, this is true. And he comes to a place where after explaining his argument, he comes to a place of saying, you know, I've got a resume that holds up my credentials as an apostle. So so I don't like talking about it because it, it really does no good for you. But if you must hear it, then here's my resume. Here's all the things I've been through. Here's the proof I'm an apostle. And at one point, he comes to speak of a vision that he had had 14 years prior where God took him to heaven. And uh, when he was taken to heaven, he heard secret things in heaven that he, were, he was not allowed to repeat. So you can imagine if... A man who's taken to heaven and hears secret things might face the temptation to be conceited, right? And so uh, that's where we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Read with me starting at verse 7, please. So, this is Paul speaking. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, most principally his revelation of going to heaven, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong so what I want you to see first is Paul had a change of perspective he has a thorn in his flesh which he hates it's horrible he calls it a messenger of Satan but he recognizes that it was in one way a messenger of Satan but another way a gift to keep him from conceit and he pleads with the Lord as most of us do when we face weakness take it away take it away God three times he pleaded with the Lord Then the Lord Jesus answers him and tells him what we have in verse 9. We'll come back to it. But after the Lord Jesus speaks to him, Paul changes perspective. He shifts from just wanting the thorn taken away 
to recognizing the thorn as a gift because it, it illuminates his weakness. And in his weakness, Christ is magnified. So he shifts from God, take it away, to God, thank you, because Christ is magnified, I will boast in my weakness. What I want to focus on with you first is what is this that Christ said that so profoundly changed Paul, his perspective. So look at with me at first verse 9. Jesus said this to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I want to take this and, and, uh, and break it down so that perhaps we might know and hear that this is not only Christ's word to Paul, but it's also Christ's word for us today, giving us the, the, the worldview, the mindset, and the strength to deal with weakness. So let's break it down. What do, what do we mean here by weakness? For my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, two levels of understanding here. The first level is understanding where does weakness come from? Weakness comes from Eden, doesn't it? Comes from Eden. Now what happened in Eden? The Garden of Eden. What happened in the Garden of Eden is sin entered the world. Through one man, sin entered the world. And with sin came death. And death spread to all men because all men have sinned. So what Paul says in Romans. Sin entered the world. And from that moment on, not only destabilized the rest, destabilized creation, threw it on a path not originally intended, but it also weakened man. Man became shamed, ran away from the garden in shame, covering covering this nakedness in which they once rejoiced in and which God was pleased with, but now covering it in shame. And they ran away, and as soon as we see man longing for food, women in labor crying out in pain, and not long thereafter, murder. And society from there on is weak. So that's the origin of weakness. Practically, weakness plays out in Paul's life with this thorn in the flesh. Without the fall, Paul wouldn't have had the thorn, right? But we have the fall, so Paul gets a thorn in the flesh. Now, what is this thorn in the flesh that Paul refers to? Well, we don't know what it is. I think it was probably left unclear for a reason so that we could identify with it. But we don't know what it is. People think perhaps this was Paul's failing eyesight due to some bout of malaria along the way, or, or perhaps this was Paul's inability to speak as eloquently and as powerfully as he might have desired, seemed to write a lot well and he spoke. Or perhaps this was something else that we don't know about, some sort of physical disability that Paul faced. We, we don't think that this was some sort of sin that Paul had fallen into uh, that he was referring to here. Uh, that, that doesn't seem to be the case for, because Christ's power is not made perfect in sin, right? So we, we don't think that's what it was, but some sort of physical ailment that Paul was dealing with that was a constant reminder that he was weak. He was merely a human, though apostle, though anointed by God, he was merely a human and nothing else. So that's what we think by weakness. I, I had an experience about 10 years ago that has become my thorn in the flesh over the years. And uh, I had a surgery on my foot, fairly routine surgery on my right foot. Um, and... Um, uh, what happened after the surgery, I, I, I think something went awry along the way, but my big toe, this is a little weird, but if you can think with me here, my big toe on my right foot uh, fused with the bones in my feet. 
And normally that's okay, because you know, when you step, if your big toe skew is kind of at the right position and going up, then, then that's okay, you just step and it goes. But the problem is, my big toe fused going down. And so every step I take, you can imagine my big toe goes into the ground rather than above the ground and causes me tremendous pain. Now, as silly as that may sound to some of you, for 10 years I've been living in it, living with it, and it has become my thorn in the flesh because every step I take, I'm reminded I'm weak. I used to think I could do a lot. I used to think I could run as fast as anybody that I knew at least and, and lift anything I thought I could and, and there was a lot I thought I could do and then God gave me a gift and the gift was seeing in my foot what exists in my heart, weakness. So that's been my thorn in the flesh and many of you are dealing with things like that. So be thinking about what that is. Now, even though, now Jesus, to Paul's request, when Paul pleaded with the Lord, take it away, Jesus said no. Isn't that amazing? Paul pleaded with the Lord three times, take this away. And the Lord said no. He responded no to Paul's prayer. That's amazing. It seems to be such a daily reality or, or regular reality for many of us, right? We pray, God, take this away. Take this pain, take this weakness relieve my suffering, relieve me, and God says no. So we need to tune in. Why? Why did Jesus say no? What's going on here? Well, Jesus left Paul with a no, but he didn't leave Paul alone, did he? So if you look, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Though Jesus says no to relieve the thorn, he does not leave Paul alone. He leaves Paul with the assurance, the promise of his grace. So as one man says, Christianity is less about substituting bad for good and more about transforming us, right? So, so Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm going to take the thorn away and give you something better. No, Jesus, I'm going to transform you so that with the thorn, I can magnify myself. So that's, that's, uh, that's very important here. But he, does the, he performs a transformation by means of his grace. Grace, what is grace? Grace is simply... In this text, grace is simply all that we have as a result of our adoption in Christ as sons and daughters of God. All that we have, the favor of Christ. Favor without condemnation. Love without guilt or condemnation. Forgiveness, freedom, liberation like we just sang about. And the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. This is grace. You could sum up what is grace. Grace is all that I have in Christ. That's all we have in Christ. So, so Jesus, when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, what he's, what he's saying is, I'm with you. I'm with you. Furthermore, he says, my power will rest on you. Well, here we see again, this is a very interesting way for Paul to speak of the power of Christ resting on him. The word he uses in his language, Paul, here in the text, only appears here in the New Testament. And it seems to refer to a tent spreading out over and settling on a place. When you think about a tent resting on a certain area of ground. That's what Paul's saying here. The power of Christ will come, surround you, and rest upon you. We, we think here of the image of, of the tabernacle in the, New Te in the Old Testament. And remember how the Shekinah glory of God came down and rested upon the tabernacle declaring to Israel and to the nations that God was here. 
So that's the imagery we have here, that the power of Christ will rest. So once again, Jesus doesn't leave Paul alone. He says, no, I'm going to transform you by my grace, and I'm going to let my power rest like a tent. Tent providing protection, providing shelter, providing the space to dwell in intimate communion with Jesus. Now, Jesus' grace is sufficient. Now, you might think, well, my weakness is just something I don't think God's interested in. Because I've prayed about it. And God doesn't do anything. He's not interested. Or maybe he can't do anything about it. Maybe he's just left us on our own to twiddle our thumbs and go on as we be. And see how we can work things out. Maybe he's just not interested. He's working in other people's life. I believe that. But, but he's just does, he seems asleep to me. He's silent. Is the grace of Jesus sufficient to sustain us? In our weakness, Paul, Philippians 4, verse 11 says this. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus' grace is sufficient to lead you to a place of glorious contentment. It's impressive when someone who deals with daily weakness is content, isn't it? That's impressive. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in our life through his sufficient grace, is lead us to a place of contentment. The secret to contentment you will not find in some dumb book in Barnes & Noble. No. No. The secret to contentment you'll find in the word of God. The secret to contentment is the grace of the Lord Jesus. We experience this grace as sons and daughters. If you are in Christ, you have experienced this grace. Think back to the time when you gave your life to Christ. Think back to the time where God made you a son or daughter of himself, declared you righteous, and you were saved from your sin and from eternal condemnation think back to that moment in time in that moment what happened you cried out in weakness didn't you and Jesus poured out his grace on you and he saved you from the dominion of darkness from slavery to sin he saved you from a soul and a heart that longs for sin and transformed you and gave you a heart for purity and holiness and Christ-likeness he saved you into a community into a church he did a glorious work a miracle in your life And the heavens rejoice. The Bible says the heaven had a party when you got saved. Now, if he did that, that seems to be very difficult. Don't you think he can also sustain you day by day, content and happy and peaceful when you deal with weaknesses? That's the easy thing. The hard thing is saving you. The easy thing is sustaining you. So Paul says in Romans 8, he who did not spare God, who did not spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, how much more graciously will he give us all things? What does it mean, though, when Jesus says, my power is made perfect in weakness? That's a strange way to talk about Jesus' power. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that he has all authority and power, right? So what does it mean that it's made perfect? Well, let me give you an illustration that may, that may uh, uh, explain that, clarify that a little bit. My second son, Evan, was born in North Africa uh, while we were living there. 
And uh, he was born, he was wonderful, and, and from the moment he was conceived, he became my son, right? He's, he's just as much my son today as he was when he was in the womb. And when he was born, he was still my son, no more, no less. But there was something weird that happened that we experienced, and that was this. Because he was born in North Africa, most of our family, our extended family, hasn't, ha, didn't meet Evan uh, when he was born. We, we really didn't have a chance to introduce him, you know, here's our son, don't you like him? Isn't he cute? So about, I think it was a year later, we came to the States and introduced Evan to the world, to America, to our family. And in that moment, when we introduced, when we revealed Evan to our family, Evan's sonship as a Shaw, my son, didn't become more or less, but it became completed. In our hearts, we felt satisfied. Okay. Now the whole family knows Evan. Now they can rejoice with us in Evan. Now they can say, that's, that's Joey's son, because they know him. They've seen him. And in the same way, that's exactly what Paul means here, what Christ means here. When his power is made perfect in weakness, what that means is that when Christ's power is revealed through his people, there's a sense in which the power is completed. It does that which it's meant to do. God does that which he means to do, namely, reveal it to the world. This is my son. Don't you like him? Isn't he wonderful? He's powerful. Isn't that great? Aren't you impressed? And in that moment, his power is made perfect. That's what that means. You may have an objection here. A few objections. I did as I read the text and dwelt on it. A few objections. First, what does Christ know about my weakness? Jesus Christ lived on earth 2,000 years ago as a man. What does he know about my foot problem? I don't recall reading the Bible that Jesus had a foot problem, right? <laughs> so what does he know about dealing with a foot problem? Well, I would just give you a few thoughts here. First, he knows your weakness because he is fully man. Jesus came, became a man, and he still is a man. He knows what it means to be human, fully human. He experienced the end of a long work week, being exhausted. He experienced what it's like to deal with difficult people. He experienced the limits of a man's power in working out good for a community. He experienced all the things that we know to be true of humanity as man. So Hebrews 4.15 for we do not have a high priest who is an a, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows our weakness because he is a man. He has lived. He lives today. But he's not only man, is he? He's also the supremely authoritative son of God. So he knows our weakness not merely from the perspective of being a man. He knows it from the perspective of ruling on his throne. Seeing all, knowing all, no details left in the darkness to Jesus. He sees all and he knows all from his throne at the right hand of the Father. So, after Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.16, let us then so, with confidence, draw near to the throne. See that? To the throne. He is king, the supreme emperor of all existence. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We go to the throne of King Jesus to bow and to receive 
grace. We receive grace from a king who is a human and who is God. And we know that Jesus knows our weakness because he went to the cross and died. He became weak. For 2 Corinthians 13, 4, he was crucified in weakness. We know that Jesus knows our weakness as our shepherd, a tender shepherd today. Because he died. And he triumphed. He didn't just die. He triumphed. He's done the very thing we all long to do, escape death. He didn't just bail on humanity. He didn't bail on you. He went to the cross in weakness, and he triumphed in power. And for that reason, we can say with John Newton, who in the 18th century said this, how unspeakably wonderful to know that all of our concerns are held in the hands that bled for us. Your Savior, when he receives your pleas for relief from the thorn in your flesh, receives him to hands that bled for you, if indeed you are in Christ. So Jesus knows all about your weakness, and he's the only one in all existence who can identify the way he does and who can provide the power. But then you might ask, another objection that I had and which I hear all the time, as a pastor you hear this all the time and we deal with it in our own lives, is this. Well, this seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like Jesus, Jesus is seeking his own glory at the expense of Paul's weakness. Paul gets the weakness, Jesus gets the glory. Doesn't that seem a little backward? Doesn't that seem a little harsh? Why is that fair? Why is it fair that I got to go through this problem, hardship, calamity, get insults, get persecuted, get people looking down on me because I believe it. Why is it fair? I go through that, he gets the throne. <laughs> Our heart says, I should get the throne. He, he, he got the weakness, right? Wait, no, that's not right. No, he gets the throne and we are weak. Why is that fair? And when you face intense suffering, you will probably face that question. Why is this fair? What have I done? What have I done? What did my child do to receive what he got? The disability. What, what did they do? We have to face that question, and I, I just want to encourage you that with it regards to fairness, the Bible speaks a lot about fairness. And the Bible says this, what's fair is that you receive proportional wrath for your sin. And your sin is so great each one of us, the very moment that we sin, the proportional punishment is eternity of wrath. That's fair. So let's not think, if we want to think in terms of fair, then that's going to lead us not to justify ourselves before God. That's going to lead us to the cross. Oh God, have mercy. I deserve, my child deserves, my colleague who got jammed in the car wreck my child with a disability, I deserve my arthritis, I deserve death, and yet you give me life? So fairness, that question should lead us to the cross. But secondly, what is so right about this? Well, what is so right about Jesus manifesting his supreme power on the platform of our weakness? What is right about that is Jesus knows one thing very well, namely that there is nothing more satisfying to the human heart, nothing 
more satisfying to the human heart than being the platform for the exhibition of the glorious and supreme power of Christ. Nothing makes a heart warmer, nothing expands the heart more, nothing generates happiness, nothing gives joy, nothing energizes, nothing thrills a human life more than being used by Christ to, to exhibit his power as supreme. And I'll tell you a little story that, that uh, um, uh, illustrates this. Perhaps a little silly, but it's my life, so I'm preaching, I get to tell the story. So here's the story. When I was in high school, this is one of the things I've logged in my head because it's so changed the way I see joy and happiness. When I was in high school, I went to, like all high school seniors, went to the winter prom, winter dance. And, uh, you know, got the limo, went to the restaurant, got a date, and went to the winter dance and had a good time, you know. Um, and at the winter dance, about the middle of the way through the dance, I had this weird thought come into my mind. And I was a believer. I loved Christ. I had given my life to Jesus and it was drowning myself in the word of God as a senior, which I'm so thankful for. And so I, I was thinking God at the center of all existence all the time. And I go to this dance and what hit me at the dance was something very important is missing here. We've got a lot of people having fun, but the most important reality in the universe, the most important being in the universe is not being talked about or cherished. It's God. So in that moment, God used that realization, and I felt God speak to me and say something very nerve-wracking. He said, I want you to get up on stage and acknowledge me. And uh, so I said, well, no, 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 thank you. I'm just going to go back to dance, you know. And, uh, and I just kept thinking, and the Spirit kept pressing my heart, acknowledge me. I am supremely important. Get these people talking about God. Well, I had no authority to do anything at this dance. I was not on a committee or student government or any sort of role that would give me any right to, to get on stage. I knew that I was weak in this way. I have no right. I have no given authority. And furthermore, when I get nervous, my lips start shaking like this. So when I propose to my wife, sometimes when I preach on stage, you know, and that's not very pleasing to the eye when you see someone's lip shaking. So here goes my lip, and I'm walking around. Nope, they're not going to do this. Nope, nope, nope. So I, I literally exit the dance, leave my date on the dance floor, and start walking around the, the auditorium thing. I'm not going to do this. And then it hit me. Jesus is my Lord. And I do what he says. So in my weakness, not having any capacity or authority, I went up to the band and literally interrupted their song the guy was playing. And so he was just doing some sort of guitar thing. And I said, hey, uh, can I say something after your next song? He was like, yeah, okay, cool. So after that, I was like, okay, this is going to happen. So after the next song, he stops. And he looks at me, he's like, you know, and I was like, all right, so here we go. <clears throat> I got up on stage and I said, hey, uh, hey, everybody, my name's Joey. Uh, you don't know me. Uh, we're having a good time tonight, aren't we? And they're like, yeah, good time, you know. And I said, yeah, that's right. But I want to tell you something. There's a God in heaven who rules from his throne, and he is here with us. We might be having fun, but we must acknowledge that he is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's acknowledge him together as we continue this dance. It was about exactly like it is now. <laughs> it's kind of like, 
yeah. And so I'm going to tell you something, though. I don't know what happened in the crowd. I don't know what fruit there was of that, but I didn't care. Because I will tell you that in that moment, knowing that Jesus Christ had used me as a platform to magnify his supreme worth infinitely more than all the sexually inflamed thoughts of all these high school seniors, infinitely more, Jesus is worthy. In that moment, there is not a single thing in the world that could have made me happier. I walked off the stage as if I was on cloud nine. Nothing could have made me happier. My Lord, just use me to magnify the supremacy of his power and worth. What is there more in life? And that's how it works. That's a, just a silly example, but that's how it works. And Jesus knows this. So when he asked the question, is this right for Jesus to magnify his power on the platform of Paul's weakness? Jesus knows there's nothing better for Paul. There's nothing more satisfying than to be used by God. So the question is, how will America, how will your family, if they don't know Christ, how will your community, how will your colleagues, how will your neighborhood know that Jesus Christ is Lord? How does that work itself out? It works itself out not when you go and present yourself as something as in, without blemish. It works itself out as when you go and present yourself as weak. The problem is, is that we are accustomed to dealing with our weakness in one of three ways. I want you to think about this. Most of the time, when we go to the neighborhood block party, we go to the cocktail party with our office, we go and we meet with the other students in our class or study group, most of the time we do one of three things when, with regards to the weak things of our life. First thing we do is deny it. Right? We just genuinely think, no, I'm not weak. I really, I'm fine. I, I really am. I'm, what do I want to do anyway? And we just deny it. Denial. And I hope by this point in the sermon I've convinced you, or, or maybe you've been thinking about it, that you may deny you're weak, but that changes nothing about reality. And, and the, the first time you get arthritis, or the first time you run into a limit of your capacity at work, you just can't do it you will realize weakness is not just a symptom, it's a heart condition. So, so uh, remember the word of God when you deny your weakness. Remember reality, truth. But the second way we typically do it, more, more common, is we just disguise our weakness, right? We, so we have the fight with our wife on the way to missional community group, right? Uh, maybe some of you have been in a fight this morning with your wife or your husband or your children. And yet, the second you walk through those high school doors, something is just great. You know, hey, how you doing? Great. No problems. Doing wonderful. We just cover right over it, like, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Instead of saying, God, here we are naked before you, ashamed. No, they cover. Get the clothes. Get them on. We're going to cover ourselves. Because it feels better, doesn't it? It feels better to just disguise ourselves. No, we're not weak. We don't have any problems. Um, no, we're doing just fine. Everything's going great, whatever. So we disguise it. And so what do we do? How do we respond if we feel like that's who we are, like we're the people who disguise? Well, I want you to think about the fact that it didn't work for Adam and Eve, and it won't work for you. It doesn't work to cover up your weaknesses because it just gets worse. Weakness is like a virus. It just spreads. And when you cover yourself, you will run from God. Just like Adam and Eve, right? They ran from God. 
So the farther you get away from God, the worse it's going to get, your weakness spreads. So it doesn't work. What about the third way? The third way we typically do is just deflect. We deny, we disguise, and we deflect, right? So we recognize, yes, we're weak. I'm not going to lie, uh, but I don't really don't want to talk about it. So we get to the initial community or in our community, people say, hey, what's going on? You say, I don't want to talk about it. You're too ashamed. You're too tired to talk about it. So just no more. So you just deflect. Just let's, let's move on. And uh, what do you do in that moment? Well, I, I think one practical thing to do is remember this. When you deflect or when you disguise, you're depriving yourself of a blessing. The blessing comes not in deflecting conversation. The blessing comes in saying, I am weak. Let's talk about it. Furthermore, let's, let me boast in my weakness. So you will deprive yourself of a blessing. So let that motivate you. Um, when we recognize that Nothing in the world is better than being used by Christ, and Christ is used through our weakness. That begins to motivate us to be just fine with our weaknesses. In fact, it motivates us to say, I do want to talk about it. Let me talk about it. Let me talk about it. I want to tell you about my toe. Because though I limp around Barcelona, that's a gift. Because if anything happens in my life, let it be shown to Christ. This is Christ's power, not my own. And I think that's what the Lord Jesus was doing with Paul as well. So, three applications for you today. First, how does God answer prayer? I want you to log this in your head. How does God answer prayer? Well, how did Jesus answer Paul's prayer? He said no, right? But he said yes to the agenda of God. He said no to Paul to relieving him of the thorn, but yes to the deeper desire of Paul and to the very agenda of God to illuminate the power of Jesus, to exalt Jesus. The agenda of God is not to make you feel better when you got a tummy ache. The agenda of God is to do whatever means possible, taking away the tummy ache, giving you the tummy ache, whatever means possible to exalt the glory of his son in your life. You might say, well, that doesn't sound too great. Well, that's the point. That's the good news. The good news is there's nothing better God could do for you than lead you to a place of, of illuminating through your weakness, through your tummy ache, the power of Christ. That's what God is doing. So the question for you is, what are the prayers you're asking God that he's saying no to? What are the prayers of God, what are the prayers that you are, you are giving to God sincerely that he's just saying no? When he says no and when he says yes, his reply fits into the same stream. It's the river that flows from the throne of God and gives life to the children of God. God's agenda is to give you life. Bound up in joy and peace and love. That's his agenda. Isn't that good news? The supreme ruler of the universe hasn't turned his back on you. When he says no, it's because he knows better. He just knows better than you do. And we have to trust him. So that's how God answers prayer. That's one thing we learn here from the passage. Second thing we learn is that weakness is a gift to us. We've talked about this. I want to remind you, think about that, those weaknesses in your life. Every one of them is a gift. So when you're in a missional community, or you're talking with your believing coworker, or you're here in the hallways and someone says, well, let me tell you about my weakness. Let me tell you about weaknesses. Your response to others going through weakness should be this. 
I'm really sorry you're dealing with that thorn in the flesh. But how is that thorn a platform to magnify the power of Christ? That's the response we give in community. We say, hey, that's really tough. But let's think about something great. Namely, what is God doing to fill you with joy and to magnify his son? Weakness, though, is not only a gracious, a gracious gift to us. It's a gracious gift to us for the blessing of others. This is, a, this is amazing. You might think, well, I struggle. In my home, my weakness is I am incapable of understanding my teenager. I, I just can't. I've tried. I've tried to relate. I can't relate. I am at the end of my limits. I'm at my wit's end. Right? I don't have the power. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the intelligence or the, the psychological power to untangle this mess. I don't know what to do. I'm weak. Well, when you're weak, Christ's power is manifested. The amazing thing is, you are weak not only for the blessing of you. You're weak for the blessing of your teenager. And you're weak for the blessing of your entire neighborhood who's dealing with the same thing. And for the blessing of your colleagues who have the same struggle. God's not merely interested in giving you joy. He's merely, he is interested in filling you with joy so you may be a blessing to others. Blessing you so you bless others. So it's a gracious gift not only to you, it's a gracious gift to you for the benefit of others. And this is amazing. So just a dumb example perhaps, but in, in Spain, I'm learning my fifth language, Spanish. I've learned three other languages and then English, which I'm barely competent in these days. But... Go figure, I'm learning Spanish, right? This kid who was born in Costa Rica, grew up in the Dominican Republic, New Mexico, and El Paso, Texas, doesn't speak Spanish. So I've got to learn how to say, you know, como se llama, or whatever. And uh, in my daily struggle with language, and in most goers, their daily struggle with language, one of the things they have to face is this. I sound really bad, but I'm going to tell you something really good. Jesus is Lord. We do this all the time. I tell all the goers, whatever language you have, use it to tell the best truth in the universe. Jesus is Lord. And that's all you can do. You've just said the th very thing that history hinges on. Jesus is Lord. So we just had a, a short-term trip from the stone in the spring come to Barcelona. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, my wife was with one of the girls from the, from the church. And she doesn't speak any, any Spanish, nothing. Uh, I mean, she knows like Taco Bell Spanish, you know. So she got there and they went out and they spent all day sharing the gospel on the streets with folks. And so they met this Bolivian woman uh, who never heard the gospel. And uh, my wife said, this is exactly what happened. She sat down and we started talking. My wife's translating. And so the girl was filled with such intense love and, and desire that this Bolivian woman would hear for the first time the gospel. She just muttered out, Dios amo tu. Which basically means, in a weird way, God, I love you. It's kind of weird, you know. And this Bolivian woman through the blundering of a language, the weakness, the disability in another language, the Bolivian woman heard the gospel. That's amazing. On the platform of this girl's weakness in language, blessing went out to this woman from Bolivia. That's amazing, isn't it? It's a daily experience. So weakness is a gift to us for the nations and for others. I want to tell you a story just to wrap things up here that uh, is a bit extreme. Um, and I want to tell you that because sometimes we need extreme situations to reveal simple truths, don't we? It just takes a lot sometimes to beat it through our head 
something that's, that's simply true. So let me tell you a story of some of my best friends, Jordan and Lauren. Jordan and Lauren are goers. They've been serving in South Asia. Now they're in the Middle East for about five years. And uh, this is their story. In September 20, 2012, they found out they were pregnant. Now, they had already had one miscarriage by this time, and so this was a very delicate, very emotional uh, situation for them. They found out they were pregnant. They were elated. They were in South Asia when they found this out. And so uh, uh, the two months later, they went to the doctor there in South Asia and did a sonogram, their first sonogram. And the doctor looked at and said, something's wrong here. We need, a, we need you to see a specialist to find out why your water level is so low. So I said, okay. So they went to a specialist there in South Asia. They did another, an in-depth sonogram. And the doctor said, something looks wrong. Uh, I can't find the kidneys of your child. So they said, what? They said, yeah, your child, they can't find the kidneys. This is very bad. So they went back to the first doctor. And the doctor said, look, your child has a syndrome uh, where he does not have any kidneys. You need to abort him. Because there's no chance of survival. He's weak. He's too weak to survive. Um, his kidneys aren't functioning. So if he makes it full term, he won't live. But he probably won't even make it full term. He's just, he's just a weak little baby. So abort. That's what they told him. Told him. Um, Jordan said, what? You, you mean probably not going to survive? Just processing? The doctor said, looks like there are no kidneys. Lungs won't develop without kidneys function, functioning. Probably won't keep him much longer aborted. Lauren said, well, abortion's not an option for us. Doctor said, and I quote from Jordan, you need to see a geneticist, and then you will understand why you need an abortion. Lauren said, you don't understand. We, and I'm quoting from Jordan Lauren, you don't understand. We believe God created this baby. We are not going to take his life. That is up to God. For us, abortion is not an option. So they went to a second doctor in Delhi. That doctor also encouraged an abortion on the basis that this child was too weak. So they wrestled with what to do. Do we stay in South Asia? Do we come back to the States to seek uh, extended medical care? What do we do? At the same time, they're wrestling with what do we name this baby? This is a precious baby. It's ours. It's our child. What do we name it? They thought there's basically two things, two uh, there's a fork in the road. There's two possible options as far as we can see. One option is God heals this baby. And we carry it full term and the baby comes out with kidneys and, and, we, and uh, all is good. So they began to send emails. We were living in North Africa. I remember getting that email and calling hundreds of people, supporters, friends, to pray for their baby. Pray that God would heal him. Um, the second possible option that they saw is God won't heal him, but God... Uh, will have to keep us because that will be the worst uh, possible thing that we could ever imagine. And we don't know if we can get through it. If God doesn't heal our baby, we're not sure we can survive. So as they were thinking about these two options, they decided that they wanted to name the baby Micaiah. Micaiah means, and this is why they named him Micaiah, means there is no one like our God. And they decided... There's no one like our God. That message will either be seen in the healing of Micaiah or in the sustaining of Jordan and Lauren. So they named their baby, boy or girl, they didn't know at this time, boy or girl, it will be named Micaiah. There is no one like our God. Well, they came back to the States to seek extended medical care, and at 36 weeks, uh, Lauren gave birth to Micaiah. 
He was born at 9 a.m. and he came out limp. His heart was beating when he came out. Three minutes later, as they held him, he died. I want to show you a picture of Lauren holding Micaiah. They later bathed Micaiah, dressed Micaiah, held him for a while. A photographer came, and then all the family got to hold him and hug him. And, and uh, it was an unimaginable experience because of the depth of pain. Then, and Jordan just was retelling me the story last week in, in Bangkok. Uh, then Jordan and Lauren left him there at, on the table. Unimaginable thought. They left their son dead on the table. A week later, they buried him in Mansfield, Texas. Jordan and Lauren had to decide what to do. God had not answered their prayer. They said no. What would they do? Is that fair? Is God really in control? Does God know what he is doing? And furthermore, if he is, he is he interested in contributing to my happiness? Because it doesn't seem so. They had to reckon with God and decide what to do. They sought their community and their, their spiritual community and their family who believe in Christ. And with the help of their community, support of their community, they decided by the power of Christ. That on every year on his birthday, this was 2012, every year on his birthday, they would go out to a community of the poor. They would distribute food and they would tell whoever would listen the story of Micaiah. And they would tell the story so that the, the audience, the crowd of the poor could see that there is no one like our God. So I want to show you a picture of Jordan and Lauren doing this in South Asia a few years ago. They actually lived just there, right behind the tents. Lived there. And this was the two, I think, two, second year anniversary of Micaiah's death. And there they are with these poor, a poor community. It's actually quite a rough community. They had to bring a few of their South Asian friends because of the extremely rough, dangerous community. They went to the community, distributed food, shared with the people about the life and death of this precious boy, Micaiah, and about God's faithfulness to lead them through the loss of their son because of the power of Christ and because there is no one like our God. That community will never find a God on their wall of idols like our God. And I want to tell you that every time they do this, they continue, they've committed themselves to do this, every time they do this, on the basis of unimaginable weakness of this little boy, Micaiah, too weak to even survive, on the basis of Micaiah's weakness, they spread the most important blessing on earth, the message of the gospel. And I believe that every time they do it, Micaiah, next to the Lord Jesus, is giving a woo! That's what I'm talking about! That's the best three minutes ever lived in history. Because on the basis of my three minutes, the nations who have never heard the gospel get to hear 
that there is no one like our God. What is a better way to live a life? Is your life like that? You've got a lot more than three minutes. Are your minutes contributing to the exaltation of the Lord of the universe for the blessing and joy of the nations? Let Micaiah inspire you. This is only possible through the divine grace of Jesus Christ. And so Lauren, a year after Micaiah died, wrote this in her journal. I will read to you from it. When the time came, we said goodbye to Micaiah. We held him and kissed him and thanked God for his life. We laid him down and nurse helped him out. Now, now Lauren wrote this uh, three years ago. And his grace, God's grace, was sufficient for that hard, hard moment. A little more than a week later, we had a graveside service to celebrate our son's life. As we drove up to the cemetery, I fought to hold back tears. I couldn't believe we were doing this. We got out of the car, greeted different people. We sat down in front of the coffin and the service began. His grace was sufficient for that day. Even now, I look back at the times and wonder in the world, how do we do what we did? We could not have done this apart from his grace. And the important thing to remember is that his grace didn't come until we needed it. It came. We didn't receive the grace until the time came. This past year has been a testimony to his sufficient grace. I continue to need his grace each day as new challenges come and as I process the losses we have walked through. It's okay to be in need. It's more than okay. It's a blessing. So I leave you with a final question. When you are weak, when you face insults, persecutions, abuse, hardships, limits in your capacity and your power, are you going to resign to deny it, lying to yourself and to your community? Or will you be like Adam and Eve and just disguise it? Or will you, will you just try to hide it away? Or perhaps just decide, I don't want to talk about it to anybody and close people off from helping you and serving you? Or will you, by the power of Christ, and it's only found in him, Will you, by the power of Christ, gladly boast, not in your strengths, but gladly boast in your weakness, so that Jesus Christ may be glorified in and through you? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word to Paul. And we, we believe it and we accept it for us as true. And I pray that you would empower us to face our weaknesses, believing that when we are weak, we are strong in Christ. I pray that you bless this church, bless my brothers and sisters, by making us a people who boast in our weaknesses. In Jesus' name, amen.